about Christianity, biblical Christianity, is that God in Jesus Christ did not stay dead. He arose from the dead. Turn, if you would, we're going to go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to be reading Romans chapter 4, verse 16 through 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 through 25. And it states, This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. In God's sight, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He believed in God, who gave life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead since he was about a hundred years old and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promises, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he had, prom- he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for the celebration we have of your resurrection. Help us to understand as we go through, and may the truths be evident. And Father, I just pray that you would take and give us more than a reminder, but encourage and strengthen our faith and understand that it isn't based upon ourselves, but the work of salvation is based upon the power of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. As we look at this text, Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. If you have been here on Sundays, we've been going through the Old Testament, going through Genesis and the testimony of Abraham. And I thought it appropriate as we look at Easter, the picture of going back to uh, Genesis. And here in this text, we see, first of all, that the promise of eternal life is through faith. And that is what Easter is all about, the promise of eternal life, the resurrection of the dead. It just wasn't simply an occurrence because... God is God and he wanted to prove himself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ had significance. It was, there was purpose. And understanding is that there was forgiveness of sin, but also there was a reason. And as we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we'll, we'll go through and see how that applies even to our faith. Because many have said, oh, I have faith. But it really hasn't been accurately described. But let's look at here first. Number one we see is that our faith was first exhibited in Abraham. One beautiful thing about the Bible is that the story isn't all a perfect people. When we hear biographies or when we hear stories about people, oftentimes we like those who had humble beginnings, who started off with nothing. Because it's easy. If you were the son of a millionaire or a billionaire. Now you have to be a billionaire. If you were the son of a billionaire and you became a billionaire, oh, that was, you know, that was a big achievement. 
conscious. You know, sometimes we tell our kids, you can be anything you want to be. It's really a, uh, not true. You can't be anything you, um, you want to be. But understanding as we look at it, we like that story of the underdog, that person who was, who was in poverty. And the great American dream came up and became something. And we are grateful for that and because it's a testimony of, of what took place. But here in the Bible, we see the example of Abraham, a testimony of faith. Because sometimes we can relate. There are times where we don't have faith. Faith in people, faith in our own family. You know, we let people down. You know, sometimes our, our children, you know, you could say, oh, I have faith in my child. But if you were to give your child a, a job or, or something difficult task, you might be like, oh, I don't know if they can accomplish it. The faith that we exhibit or demonstrate, place in others. But here we see the example of our faith was first exhibited in Abraham as an example. And God kept his promise to Abraham. It stated here, verse 17 and 18, positively that he believed. Do you remember back in chapter Genesis chapter 12 gave the promise, get out of your land and go to a land that I will show you and I will make you um, a great and mighty nation. Now picture that, if you will, in modern context. Because here you have Abraham, he was living in the early Chaldees, he was living in a location. And it says, okay, I want you to leave that, leave your family, and move to this other area. And I'll tell you about it when we get there. Now, if you're anything like me, I like to be knowing some of the details. Where are we going? You know, what do I have to take with me? Get things ready. If you, if you said to your family and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to go someplace. You know, you could say, oh, it's, summer's coming, we're going to go camping. Where are we going camping? Oh, I don't know yet, I haven't decided. They'd be like, wait a second, you know? That's when everybody freaks out in the whole household. Or, or maybe you're the spontaneous type, okay, let's go, we're going to go. But here we understand that it's Abraham trusted God had called him and says, here we go. This is where I want you to go. I'm going to take you to this place. And um, there is going to be much new. But you are going to be, have a great nation. The challenge is he has no children. 75 years at the time, okay? Understand, it's one thing when you're 20, but when you're 75. Moving on. And so God reaffirms, and we have other passages where, uh, first of all, his nephew Lot is taken, and he's given, he is, he chooses an area. And we see that there is a strengthening of the faith, but God kept his promise. And we see that because we get to see the end of the story, that God promised him land, promised him seed, that he would have many children, and that through him all the nations would be blessed. And that includes us as well. Well, here as we go through, we also see that God's revelation was progressive to Abraham. It says in 20, strengthened in his faith. And that I appreciate because strengthening means that it helps us along. If you've ever heard the term, help me in my unbelief. Sometimes we are trustworthy. If you've ever had a friend who has broken your trust, I know, um, not a friend, but give an example of broken trust or trusting. If you work in a secular job and maybe you have a community refrigerator, a community refrigerator, sometimes for those think, hey, any, since it's a community refrigerator, I can eat whatever I want. Well, there was a time, you know, at, at a job that I had where there was someone who used a community refrigerator and liked to take out, oh, what am I having today? You know, they would take out what they wanted and there was always someone's lunch would be missing. I know we put it in there, someone would figure it out, but 
after a while, that you'll be a little distrustful to put uh, your items back in that refrigerator because for fear someone would eat it or someone would take it. And uh, so um, after the person has been caught, you know, then it gives a little more credibility and you have a little more faith and trust in that. And uh, as you find out, I, we finally found out who was taking it and then it was, uh, it, we were able to put our lunches back in that refrigerator. But in the same way, understanding that God's revelation to Abraham, he was strengthened in his faith. There were times where Abraham was weak. There were times where Abraham didn't necessarily always trust God. Here, when he went down to Egypt, at other times where he said, this is my sister. You know, he was fearful for his life. He didn't understand that God was in control and had a plan for his life. And also we see that God tested Abraham's faith and his plan for Abraham. And it wasn't for God's sake, but it was for Abraham's sake. Sometimes when we're tested, uh, we always say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Why are you testing me? But you know, God already knows. You can ask him all you want, but it's like God knows what is going on. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. But he's also not this mean God who just tries to press his thumb on you and says, oh, let's see how much, I wonder how much he is going to be able to handle. God knows how much we are able to handle. But the perspective is not the divine perspective, the human perspective. We don't know how much we can handle until we're placed within that set of circumstances. And here, God tests Abraham uh, for his sake. It says he did not waver. He was fully convinced. And weak faith doesn't affect the outcome, but repeated faith produces fruit and reassures future actions. See, we can have weak faith, and there are those of little faith. Oh, I'm not sure if it, what has been promised will take place. And if you are always doubtful, sometimes maybe you're the pessimist. Oh, it's probably going to rain. Oh, you know, probably won't be enough food for breakfast. Oh, there probably won't be this or that occur. Sometimes there's people like that. But understanding after a few times of reassurance, if you continue to keep that disposition, then, you know, it's not accurate. Your faith is not increasing. Here, the element of faith is the object of our faith. It doesn't depend upon ourselves. And when we keep, continue to doubt and doubt, if Abraham were to continue to doubt and doubt, you know, he would, he would be anxiety and he would have emotional challenges. But God reaffirms his faith in demonstrating that he is God that he is in control, that he has a plan. And we're able to see those pictures. And he was able, we're thankful because Abraham was able to see the fact that he has a son. How would we like the story if it says, don't worry, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Don't worry, you're going to have a son. Abraham dies and then the son is born afterwards. You know, that would be very discouraging. But Abraham is able to see a son. 100 years old and he has a son. I mean, think about that. I think about... You know, children, and uh, if you have children when you're older, it's like, oh boy, you run out of energy. You're not able to raise them. But here, Abraham has this child of promise in Isaac and gets to see them. Think about the joy that would bring him. But he wasn't able to see the rest of it, that he would become a great nation, that through him all the world would be blessed. But we're able to recognize and see the word of God and to see that that faith, was a picture because he did not waver that promise. 
And the faith that we possess is not of ourselves. If we were to believe in an idea, and where it says here in the text of chapter 4, and it says he believes, and in existence, things that were, did not exist. He did not waver, it says in verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had pro promised, he was also able to perform. His faith wasn't in himself, it was in God. And to understand why, what had occurred. And as we go back and look at this, that in verse 17 it says, God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do, do not exist. It's not referring to the ex nihilo creation, creation of something out of nothing. What this refers to is to call those things that are not as though they were. It refers to the stated object of our faith who with certainty will bring about what has been promised. It, it really emphasizes that certainty that, guess what? This will occur. Oh, it may seem impossible. Have you ever been in dire circumstances where you, you wonder, how can I get out of this situation? We read about some of those hikers or those who are stranded in the middle of no, nowhere. But yet God comes through and says, I had given up all hope. But God knows and understands. And Abraham was able to see the culmination of his faith promised by God through his son Isaac. Yet he was not able to see all of it fulfilled. Second thing we look at is our faith is not solely dependent upon ourselves. In verse 22 and 23, as I read, it says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. And as Paul writes to the Roman believers, it says, Hey, guess what? It's for you as well to encourage you and to us who would read the word of God. And the first thing we learn is that God is a source of our faith. In verse 16, it goes back and says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace. And as we understand that that grace was given for Jews and Gentiles who made the promise of eternal life for all. Verse 24, God uses actions of believers to strengthen others. He is the source of our faith. It's one thing for us to have faith, but he also gives us a sure object of faith. Those who say, oh, you just have blind faith. Well, if you believe in yourself or if you believe in an unworthy cause, then guess what? Your faith is unfounded. But our faith is founded in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is a credible source. And that's the important. Because it's not, oh, you know, if I have enough faith, it will occur. It's the object of our faith. And as we look at it, it says he is the promise of eternal life for all. Our salvation. The fact that when we ask for forgiveness of our sins and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, it is a work dependent upon Christ, not ourselves. He is the one who is able to give us the gift of eternal life. There are many who try to achieve a right relationship with God to get to heaven by merit. But that is what grace alone, nothing that we can do can ever merit or earn God's favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's the means, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But understanding what takes place is that even though Jesus Christ did this wonderful work for mankind, there are those who are going to not believe. First of all, they're skeptics. What's the catch? 
There's others who are going to say, well, I know I have to do something. So that's how I've been taught. I need to work through this and do it on my own. And still others who, who won't understand said, I don't really care. I don't think it's true. And while that gift has been given and the validity of it, there still comes through the means of faith. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe your heart that God had raised him from the dead, that entering into a personal relationship gives us eternal life. Now, it's interesting because young people, as it says, as a childlike faith, young children have a greater faith than adults. I mean, part of it is that we've learned to be skeptical. You know, everyone's trying to sell you something, right? They come to your door, they call you. You know, if you've done your taxes, all of a sudden, you know, this is the IRS. We want you to give us your credit card number again and, uh, you know, and okay, call them back. Well, it's a scam. You know, okay, we have to be careful. But a childlike faith understanding is that when they come to the realization that Jesus Christ has died for their sins and the, the gift of eternal life, what I've found is some of them, when they make that commitment, they think that they're going to heaven right away. And can you imagine if uh, that occurred? Because the love of Christ is so great than it would. It would take us off this earth. But humanly speaking, we often want to be here because, hey, our friends, everything we know is on this earth. So we, we've gotten roots and we want to be here. But here, the love of Christ, something so much greater is in heaven. And where children is their faith is like, okay, I'm ready to go. I'll place my faith and trust. And then they realize, oh, wait, I don't have to go. But think about that willingness because their object of their faith is in something not of themselves. So as we go through, God is the source of our faith, but God is the object of our faith, as I mentioned. That faith must be exhibited It is what separates it from belief. It's one thing to believe in the resurrection, that it existed as something historical. But that doesn't do anything for us. It becomes a personal relationship, understanding, I believe I can cross that ladder bridge. If you've ever seen some of those pictures, um, that uh, there's a big chasm, and then there's a ladder bridge, and you're trying to go across it. Or maybe if you've been to the Grand Canyon on the east side, I know it's really expensive, on the Indian land, they had that clear bridge. You could walk out there, you know, and, uh, and I've seen some of those videos even where they had the glass bridges you walk across, and then they... They're mean because what happens is they automatically make it look like it's cracking. And then all these people are like falling down. Oh, no. You know, that would be, that would be funny to watch. But it, it also would be scary. You know, you have an anxious anxiety attack. But imagine walking across there. You can say, oh, yeah, I believe that, that bridge will hold me. But until you take the act of walking over it, you are exhibiting your faith. It's one thing to believe it. It's the same way in our personal relationship with Christ. When we confess him and trust him. And enter into a personal relationship, often done through a prayer or simply calling out and saying, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you can give me the gift of eternal life. And then engaging in that and placing faith and trust in there. It's a one-time deal. And it is evidenced by your faith following after. And sometimes, granted, we will be doubt. I mean, most of you would not want to walk across that clear bridge, especially if it starts cracking. You know, and you say, oh, exhibit faith. But guess what? If there was a fire or something behind you, and, you know, there was more urgency, and, you know, let's see, which is the lesser of uh, my problems? You know, you'd say, I think I trust this more than the pack of wild tigers behind me. Okay, here we go. But the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. It's not in ourselves. Secondly, thirdly, we see here 
is that our faith does not solely depend upon ourselves, but also God is the completion of our faith. It's not just simply believing that Jesus Christ existed, that he died and rose again. He's the completion of our faith, that he has a power to fulfill that promise. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he can give us the gift of eternal life. And when we die, we will be in the presence of God. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Those of you who follow uh, college basketball, some of you might not, but understanding is that uh, Loyola um, from Chicago, a small school, 11th seed, and they were surprised that they got in there. But if you're older and uh, have seen movies back from Indiana called The Hoosiers, The Hoosiers is one of the greatest basketball films. If you haven't seen that, then you should. But uh, they have a small town team who plays the big state team, and one of the things the coach does is he, he takes a measuring tape and goes up and says, look, the rim here is 10 feet, the same as back where we're at. And so just kind of getting them to develop. And while this, everything, the circumstances, the environment is new, there are many things that are stable the same. It's the same as there's going to be more people. And that young group, when they go in, you know, they might be trying to uh, deal with the crowd and their own anxiety. But guess what? If they shoot it at that rim, it's still going to be 10 feet. If they dribble a ball, it's going to bounce back. And so trusting that. And the completion of our faith, the reason I say that is that that person, that basketball player could spend the day before and the week before nervous about what will take place. He can be overcome by fear or simply he can, he can go out and play and he must act and anticipate based upon the conditions that are present. The point is that uh, worrying about it won't do anything the completion of our faith. There's going to be a game whether he's there or not. It's the same thing. There's going to be a death. There's going to be a day of reckoning. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a confidence of knowing that he will fulfill what he promised. And worrying about it, there are those who are going to worry about it their whole life. And that's where I would express that the evidence of our faith is seen in our actions. So as we go through, the last thing was the completion of our faith. As we go through the next is our faith leads to righteousness. So as we see here, our faith leads to righteousness. In verse 22, it, and it's a parallel with Isaiah 53. As we look at um, chapter 4, verse 22, it says, And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness, reckoned to. This is referring to crediting to an account and putting in there and value. And if we were to go back to Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, and it states, Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in return regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We are healed by his wounds. In the same way, understanding is that we have the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done, not in ourselves. It is a work of Christ. And that's what leads to righteousness because God gives justice. Someday there will be justice. Now, we always want justice when, when a person cuts us off in traffic, when, when you know, we see on the news, oh, there is not justice in this land. But when it comes to our own relationship with Christ and we don't live right and we deserve punishment, Lord, have mercy. 
just have justice on all those who are much worse sinners than I am, right? But no, someday there will be true justice. And as we see here, justice is a personal, a positional standing to those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ based upon the work of Jesus Christ alone. We cannot obtain it ourselves. In the Old Testament, it was given to the Israelites to fulfill the law. Wash your hands a certain way. Eat only clean foods. Do this or that. You know, do the sacrifices. And then they saw, I can't keep up. There's too many laws. There's too many regulations. It's kind of like if you were to all have to do taxes on your own and some of it, and, you know, it's like, oh, there's too many laws, too many regulations. Imagine if you had to do everyone's taxes um, in your town. Maybe you're an accountant, but it's, it's a hard thing to keep up with the laws and everything. And really, ultimately, if it were up to us, we'd fail. But the Old Testament was a picture of that, to understand that we can't come to Christ or his righteousness. We're always going to fail. But justice can be meted, or the sin can be meted, in, in, this, in that what can occur is we are insufficient, but the righteousness refers to salvation and right standing before a holy God that can only be met through the work of Jesus Christ. He is the one who provides that justice. It's kind of like when, when uh, you have two sides and you need a judge, be arbitrary. But guess what? You get a policeman that says, all right, the policeman, you know what? He can be an impartial judge, and I'm right, and he's wrong. And uh, they, they have to decide, and usually they are taught to be impartial. And justice will be carried out. But also what we see here is God gives not only justice, but forgiveness. And forgiveness is so necessary in today's world. But here's the challenge. Do you know a lot of people don't ask for forgiveness? Even as you see in our media, in anywhere, it's kind of like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, that's not an understanding. That's an apology, but that's not doesn't equal forgiveness. And often forgiveness comes two-sided and the genuineness of that. You can say, oh, I'm sorry, but how often is that just simply a quick passing? Oh, I'm sorry. A sincere apology. You know, I, am, I apologize. I was wrong. I forgive. Um, I ask for your forgiveness because I've done something wrong. We don't want to admit that we've done wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. So we're really trying to have an excuse that allows us out of this situation. But true forgiveness is a path that enters into a right relationship. It's one thing if you're to just say, I'm sorry, and then go on and continue the same behavior. But to bring about true change and true reconciliation, it requires forgiveness. And that has occurred because when allowing Jesus Christ to be crucified for our trespasses, it says, one who has wronged another, broken the laws. When we recognize that we're the one who has trespassed, too often we want to deflect. We want to defer and say, you know what, it wasn't me. And here, to understand the reason for the crucifixion means to understand the trespass of our own sin. When we look at the sin of those around us, we must also understand that we are the reason for the death of Christ. Our sin held him there. And while maybe you grew up in a Christian home, maybe you aren't, uh, um, in your eyes, as sinful as the other. We have broken the commandments. We have trespassed. And we may dress up pretty nice. to, you know, look as very good law-abiding citizens. But guess what? We're still, before God, sinful. And our sinfulness is an abomination. It is filthy rags. 
And the picture in the Bible is even worse, if you could look at it. I used to work in the medical field in surgery, and I won't give you the description, but I've been in surgery where there's blood everywhere and gross um, situations and sometimes the smells as well. Well, it's usually offensive. And I, trust me, I've been in, in bad scenarios where you've had a, a bad bowel case and it smells all over. But that is how it is. Our sins before a holy God who cannot stand or allow sin. And even though we might look all clean on the outside, we're filthy and dirty before him. But yet he gives us righteousness, that opportunity to have clean, rag, clean robes. And God gives forgiveness. And we must come before him with a spirit of humility to, to ask for, for that forgiveness. But also God gives evidence, evidence of our faith, that it is being carried out. Because all of us want to know that we're doing something right. If we were to, that's why tests, young people, you know, tests are good things because it is a reassurance that, hey, guess what? You're learning what you should. And uh, driver's tests. I know someone who recently passed the driver's test. And that's a good thing because we'd have a lot of bad drivers on the road if there are no tests. Oh, I'm just going to go out and get in the vehicle. You know, it's bad enough with all of the distracted driving and some of the other people driving. And uh, it, is, it is terrible. I was talking um, with one of um, uh, college students about uh, in Korea. In L.A., a lot of Koreans have a bad reputation for being bad drivers. And part of it is they've never driven before. And I've been in, with some of them. And I've been with others. You know, it's driving along. Boom, boom, boom. And, you know, and it's just they've never driven. And driving is so dangerous nowadays. If things are going on. You've got to be careful for this or that. And thankfully, we don't have to worry about snow and hail and ice. But we do have to consider, you know, the person who's distracted, the person who's driving 120 to pass us because we're going too slow at 80, you know, and then we have construction and there's so much going on. But these laws help at least say, hey, you've arrived at this point and there's evidence that you have at least studied and can drive. You know where everything is. And God gives evidence of our faith, first of all, that our sins have been forgiven forever and we can have a right standing legally before God. He's given us the word of God, so that's a word of reassurance. He's also given us even more in that there is the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ in a historical event that cannot um, be compromised. And understanding, looking at that, conflicted. And there is evidence to search that out. And those who have tried to search it out and realize and come to the understanding um, there's Josh McDowell who, who searched out and he wanted to know is the historical resurrection of Christ, even Christ, his work, an accurate portrayal of history. And you know, you arrive at the fact he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord who he said he was. And that's what he arrived at. A book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But the resurrection of Christ is physical evidence that Jesus Christ was our propitiation. The Bible used that term. It's a big word. It means the wrath-removing sacrifice. Because God's wrath, there is a, has to be meted or met. Because of our sin, there has to be a consequence. There has to be judgment. But it was met in the, Jesus Christ, that he was sufficient to forgive and cover all of our sins for eternity. And that means that we're forgiven, not just for what we do today, what we did in the past, what we will do in the future. Now, that isn't a license to sin. That is an understanding positionally that before God, because he's given me forgiveness, now I want to serve him. 
and to come into a right understanding of that, of what he's given you. If someone has given you a new organ to give you life, you're not immediately going to go out and say, oh, well, you know, too bad for you, sorry. You know, or you are going to hopefully understand and appreciate that, realize that your life now is not your own. It has been given because of someone else had to die and give you that sacrifice. And the last thing we see here is that our faith has important consequences. Our faith does not affect only us alone. It affects others as well. First of all, we see chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Peace with God. First of all, three things we have and as we move along. Our faith has important consequences. It does not affect us alone. Peace with God. That means reconciliations. Think of, remember, we're the trespasser who needed forgiveness. Imagine if you, were, if you were asking for forgiveness and they said, well, I might forgive you. I might forgive you. If you are a fan of the movie, it's um, The Princess Bride. And uh, Wesley, who is on the great pirate ship by the dread pirate Robert, says, oh, I could kill you t- tomorrow. He never does. But can you imagine living with that fear? When we were, if we were in a relationship where, oh, maybe I'll forgive you. Or maybe it's a parent that you have wronged and you ask for, for forgiveness. He says, well, I might forgive you tomorrow. You know, that would leave us in limbo. But understanding is that we can have peace with God, reconciliation of knowing that we are in a right relationship with God, forgiveness. That comes about when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. Immediately, the Holy Spirit comes as a seal and gives us that peace of knowing that if we were to die today, we would be in heaven. Sure, we might be doubt, but we can be reassured through the word of God. These things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. It says that in 1 John. And we can know for sure. That peace, to be absent with the body is present with the Lord. It doesn't depend upon us. So we can have confidence of knowing that we're in heaven. We can have peace with God. We are no longer enemies. Forgiveness. But also, we can have peace from God. And this peace from God is direct access, permits us to understand a right relationship, the gratitude. When you are in a right relationship with God, you know, it's kind of like... in college, there were those, I went to a Bible school back in the 90s, and there were those, whenever, a joke would be, if you ever did something wrong or thought about something, you put up your lightning rod because God's going to strike you down. You know, if, imagine if, you, if, if God were like that. In the Old Testament, we see stories of the earth opening up or the sins that occurred and people met immediate judgment. Can you imagine if God worked that way now? You accidentally had a bad thought. Ooh, poof, boom, you're gone. Sometimes we wish that could happen. You know, oh, that person or, or, or what took place. That, he, they, took my, uh, j- they took my idea, bam, you know, that occurs. But understanding that we can have peace with God, um, peace from God, direct access, in that we can pray to God. And when we do sin, because we're going to sin, we can come back into a right relationship with him. And, and that gives us gratitude. We serve God after we come into a personal relationship with Christ, out of gratitude, not compulsion. If someone says, oh, you better behave all the time, you better behave all the time, then it's all out of fear. And we're always the rebel child who sometimes wants to step out of the box when they're not looking. You know, we're like that. 
humanly speaking. We just want to, you know, well, too bad, I'm going to do that. Or, you know, it's, that's our human nature. But when we do that and we have the, the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit convicts us and tells us, guess what? You are sinning against a holy God. Now, he's given you forgiveness and given you eternal life. Are you going to keep on sinning? Well, no. Oftentimes, what will happen is that our conscience understand that, guess what? We need to come back into a right relationship with God because if not, the word of God says that he may take us off this earth or what will occur. But we can have peace from God of knowing that, hey, I'm doing what is right. And then finally, we can have the peace of God. It refers to specific times in our life when we need reaffirmation that we're either, we, that we are in a right relationship with God, doing his will, encouraged, comforted, knowing that God is in control. There's times in your life where you have no idea what you should do. And sometimes you're thinking, oh, I wish I knew what, what we were going to do. We're in the process of um, moving over into this area. Uh, many don't know that we drive up about an hour away, but uh, we, we want to move in the area, and we don't know where we're going to live. And that's kind of a scary thought for people who like to plan out their lives. But to understand that God is in control, that he will bring about his plan, his perfect will. And sometimes there's a job that you might not know what to do. Maybe there's an opportunity that you have. Maybe, you know, you're going to have kids or all of a sudden you have kids. And now it's like, oh, no, what do I do? But God is in control and he gives you that peace of knowing you don't have to know everything. You simply need to trust him, have faith, believe that God will do what he promised. And that peace that passes understanding is different because those are weak faith. And other sinning believers, they don't understand this peace. How can you have peace when this is occurred in your life? You should be freaking out. You should be on Valium. You should have something else. And sometimes we respond that way. But understand that if you realize that God is in control, then there's, that he has a plan and purpose in this. And just in closing... In uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Just turn, if you would, and close. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, Be not anxious for anything, or don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition or supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We have that direct access. And the peace of God which surpasses or passes every thought, every understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever occurs in your life, you have the greatest resource available, which is found in the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what people don't understand. The resurrection power of bringing Christ back from the dead. For, the, for those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is accessible in our own lives. And what I mean by that is that understanding that if you die, Christ isn't going to say, oh, I'm going to raise you back from the dead right now. But what that means is that you have the power of Christ that can help heal that person who is sick, can help fix that marriage that is going, can help see that person who has constantly rejected Christ come to Christ, can heal that relationship that has been broken for so long, can pay that, that uh, tax bill that you don't know how is going to be paid, 
that can be fixing that uh, car. Now, while God may not always choose to do that, it is not God saying, oh, God, you're, you're being a mean God. It is a God who says that there is a greater plan that he permits us to go through to help teach us, to help guide us. But in those times of worry, of anxiety, of discouragement, call upon the greatest source. And I would encourage you this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, may it be today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we think about Easter and the hope that is found, it's not a hope that, is, that focuses on doubt. Hope of the resurrection focuses on the certainty. The word, the original word talks about what will come. The fact that this is eternal life, the promise, and that it will be fulfilled. While we may doubt and we may worry, that doesn't change the outcome. Maybe there's someone here this morning who, if they were to die today, they're not sure that they would go to heaven. They're not sure if uh, they would be in the presence of God. Maybe if you were to die and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? You couldn't answer that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just encourage you, if there's someone here this morning who says, you know what, if I were to die today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Just slip your hand up, put it back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you walk the aisle. But just put your hand up, put it back down, say, pray for me. I'm not going to call you out. I just simply want you to know that today can be the day that you know for sure that you have eternal life. No one looking around, just slip your hand up, put it back down. Well, by a confession, looking around, that says that every person here has placed their faith and trust in Christ. And I, I would just encourage you to know that there is hope. There is joy. No matter what is going around you, it doesn't mean that you have to be happy. There's a difference between a temporary state of happiness, but joy of knowing that God is in control, that you have a source found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that you can trust him in the good, in the bad. And as we think about Easter this morning, the resurrection of Christ, I would encourage you to be reminded that God is in control, that someday there will be a resurrection of the body. Should he return, that is what will occur. But if we were to pass before that, we can have the joy and confidence of knowing that if today were our last, we would be with him in heaven. And it's important for us to understand that heaven is real, that there is a greater place to be in the presence of God that is a source of greater joy than we can find on this earth. And that should bring us happiness. And it should help us to understand that there is a wonder beyond that we cannot comprehend, that we cannot even physically express the joyfulness of knowing that we will be in his presence. And that should draw our hearts toward gratitude Thank you, God, for what you have done. And just as I'm going to have the piano play, and just take a moment of reflection, because in a moment we're going to have a baptism, a baptism that celebrates the death, the burial, the resurrection, but also a young man who wants to follow after Christ and wants to exhibit, that, exhibit this through the testimony of baptism.